G'day guys and welcome to this interview episode of Aussie English. So today I have special guest Christian from Kangaroo English. It is my pleasure to chat to him today all about a course plan that I sort of have in the future as well as language learning, differences between Portuguese and Spanish and we sort of get into the nitty gritty about what the important aspects of developing fluency are. So, I recently had an idea for creating a fluency course, a course specifically with the purpose of helping you develop your fluency with the English you have now, right? Without you having to learn anything um, more in terms of grammar or vocabulary, but more developing the, the English that you already have and working on your fluency. And so, I told Christian about that and he was like, oh, can we talk about that in an interview episode? So, we did this a few months ago. He chucked it up on his podcast, but I thought today I'll put it up on mine. This is the first half of my interview with Christian from Kangaroo English. Let's go. Uh, Mr. Pete Smithson, thank you very much for talking to me today. It's a uh, doctor, Dr. Pete Smithson. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting about that. I'm sorry. Um, doc- Dr. Okay. Smithson, um, how are you today? I'm good. That's like the only time I can use anything that I got out of 12 years at university. So, <laughs> I have to use it every now and then. When people say Mr., I'm like, <laughs> it, it must be like super satisfying if you go to one of those like web forms and you have to choose, you know, Mr., Mrs., and you do a doctor. I feel like I shouldn't. I feel like I shouldn't. I'm always like, are they going to be, you know, is it going to come up and it'll be a legal thing? And they'll be like, well, technically, you know, you're not a doctor, doctor. So I'm always just like, mister, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, I, I saw, a, I saw a thing on, on, on Twitter where there was this, um, there was this, this, this woman and she said that she ran into an ex, an ex boyfriend. And the ex boyfriend said, uh, I haven't seen you in ages. Is it, um, is it miss or missus? <laughs> he replied, actually it's doctor, right? Boom. Boom. Right. But then, but then, and I, and I was like, boom. But then everyone on Twitter was like, he still likes you. He was trying to find out if you're single, you idiot. <laughs> yeah. All of that knowledge and you've lost all of the common sense. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so, well, uh, the, the reason we're, we're chatting is because, um, the other day, um, mm-hmm. we, we were talking on, um, on, on Facebook and, and you mentioned that you're thinking about, uh, developing this course for people so that they can actually use the English that they have right now, but also at the same time, improve their English, but basically immediately. Well, I'll get the book so that I can actually reference it properly because I fell in love. I fell in love with this guy. So this guy's name is Boris. Schechtman. I think he's a Russian guy, but he has a Jewish name. So for anyone watching, here's the here's the book. Okay. But um it's called How to Improve Your Foreign Language Immediately. It's a very short read, but it's amazing. Um it blew my mind because I saw I obviously was cruising around on Amazon looking for books about language learning and how to I don't know, I get pretty sick of and I've got a few books up here on language learning, but a lot of them are always like you know, these are the kinds of dictionaries you should use and make sure that you speak to people. Don't, don't just spend all your time on it. It's like obvious stuff, but it's yeah. never, it never seems like actionable information that you uh-huh. can be like, well, what can I actually go out there and do to improve the way in which I speak? It's always about, 
it seems like it's always aimed at basic, you know, this is how to learn a language, not how to use it. But this guy is really good because he worked for the FSI. I think it's like the Foreign or FIS. Yeah, Foreign, the Foreign Services Institute, yeah. Foreign Services Institute in America training up diplomats diplomats to speak Russian. So, and they had to speak like at a native level, if not higher, I think, you know, about very complicated stuff. So, oh. you know, it was um, no holds barred language teaching. But the book, at least this one, which I sort of want to center the course on the idea that I had was all of these sort of small ideas that are implementable straight away immediately that you could, you know, learn now, watch a small video, read the book, go outside and use and immediately improve your language. So I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Anyway, one of the things in there, I guess, was I think, and this is one of those things we were talking about yesterday or the day before was um, that he his first rule here is show your stuff, which is effectively if you're in a conversation with someone, you know, if I were to say to you, how are you going, Christian? What are you going to say back? Well, um, <laughs> I would probably say, yeah, yeah, fine. How are you? Exactly. So at least it goes back and forth, but you're not going to just say good, right? Like it's yeah. going to be a good. You, yeah. So I think a lot of people focus on that. I need to respond. And they give you the, the sort of the smallest amount possible to get like a pass, you know, like in a test. It's like, I, well, I put an answer in the box. And he was saying that you need to change, at least with that sort of um, rule, show your stuff. It was more um, show what you're capable of. So you would, instead of just saying something like, you know, how's it going? Yeah, good. And you, you would say something, yeah, I've been great. Recently, I've been doing this and I've started doing this and my day was like this. Or, you know, you would go down a bunch of different, alleys you know talk about a bunch of different things and then throw it back so that the the speaker it's kind of like a fight right or it's almost like a a dance together where it's equal parts it's not just one person dominates and the other person gets you know the submissive the submissive position right yeah I, i actually i love that because because as you say this is a technique that doesn't require any new knowledge or any study it's more of a like a mindset Um, exactly and in fact i've 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 used this technique myself, but only in a very specific way. I used it when, um, for, for exam preparation, because w- what can happen in an exam is, because, for example, in a lot of exams, there's, there's parts where they have to speak with a partner. Mm-hmm. And, and what can happen is if you have a, a partner with a very dominant personality or with yes. a very high level of English, they can take over this whole section of the exam. And so you, you're left basically saying nothing, right? Yeah. And so I always encourage people, you know, if, when you're in the exam and they say, how are you? You just launch into it. A big monologue, you know, uh, let them tell you to stop, you know? Exactly. Uh, well, that's, I had to remember that. I remember doing my French exam back in year 12 and I was, I was crapping myself, you know, cause I was like, oh my God, there's <laughs> going to be two French natives sitting across the desk interviewing me effectively about different things in French. And I have no idea what it's going to be about, but it was always that just prepare to have, you know, they're going to ask you about you you know, generally, <laughs> they're not just going to, what do you think of NASA? You know, <laughs> it's just going to be something like, tell us about your family, Yeah, you know? Exactly. And so you just have to have things prepared. And this is sort of a few of those other rules in here is sort of like build your islands, which was develop these sort of islands of um, subject material that you want to talk about or that you would talk about in your native language. So like your family or your job or your hobbies develop those so that you're sort of prepared when you meet people and you have a conversation with them and they obviously want to get to know you and say, you know, what do you do? 
and you're not sitting there crapping yourself like I've forgotten how to use the present tense and you don't have to think about it because you've gone away, you've practiced, you know, I do this as a job, I go seven days a week and blah, blah, blah. You have a whole lot of information that you can just spurt out. And what we were talking about, I think when the light bulb went off for you, or at least I think I saw it in the in your eyes, was yeah. when it t- all of these sorts of rules kind of tie really in deeply with confidence and building confidence, right? Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like, we get asked a lot, I, I assume you get asked a lot, how do I sp- speak more confidently? How do I be more confident with my English? And it's kind of like, you can't really just practice confidence in and of itself, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, you have to practice these kinds of things to be prepared, say, build your islands, you know, be prepared, know what you can talk about about you so that when you speak, it's not so much that you're confident, it's that you know what you're doing and you're not nervous because you have to think and make it up on the spot. And so it's more, I don't think it's confidence of being prepared, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and another thing that's, that's really interesting for me is is how some of these concepts tie into uh, maybe some of the science about the way that maybe children learn languages because yeah. like it seems that, you know, rather than this idea that, that children or even adults sort of learn languages by sort of memorizing like categories of words, like verbs or nouns or, 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 you know, maybe, um, you know, memorizing how to, how to conjugate a verb by adding ed for the past. Yeah. It seems like, children and, and and maybe even adults could learn best by learning things in these big kind of chunks. And, and it's interesting how these island, this island theory fits in with that. It's like you have this pre-prepared kind of like stuff that's just there ready to go. Um, so well, I, think, I, think I think it makes too, sense. It ties in with the Pareto principle, right? The 80, 20 rule of, you know, when, when you learn the, 20%, the most common 20% of the English language is going to be used 80% of the time by people, right? And the other 80% is used only 20% of the time. So you need to spend 80% of your time effectively focusing on that 20% because you're going to be using it 80% of the time. So I think it's that sort of thing where you need to not get distracted by all these unknown words in English or unknown grammar patterns and really spend your time where it's most efficiently used because you're you know, studying the things that you're going to be using most of the time because there's no point in being able to nail, you know, the the past perfect tense in if clauses or something if you're never going to say it or at least, you know, it's so uncommon that even if you screw it up, it's going to be so rare that people aren't going to, it's not a big deal in your day, right? But being able to talk about your family or being able to use the present tense, you know, those sorts of things, it's kind of like, well, you're going to be talking about them probably every other day with someone, right? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. And, and, and in fact, I wonder if, if really it's more extreme than the Pareto principle. I wonder actually if it's more like 5%, 95%. I guess it would de- depend on how many words you say is in English, right? Because <laughs> that yeah, tail I mean, end is probably... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's so many estimates about how many words in total there are. But yeah. if you take an estimate, let's say, and this is an extreme estimate, but let's say there's a million words in English you know, and a huge percent of those are archaic or scientific or medical, you know, kind of vocabulary. Um, you know, if you, if you look at like, they estimate that a, that a well-educated college student knows 40,000 words yeah. and like a normal person like you or me, we know about 20,000 words. <laughs> I'd probably be, be less than Doctor. that. But... <laughs> <Doctor>. <laughs> you know, so, so if you, if you think that the total, 
the total could be a million. And, and you know, we know 20,000, but a lot of that's passive vocabulary. Maybe on a day-to-day yeah. basis, we're only using, say, 5,000. Know, well, I think really there was a lot some... of, not, not really a lot, is it? Anec- anecdotally, when I do my podcasts more recently, um, I've been taking the transcripts from my podcasts, and we spoke about this, and running it through a program to look at the complexity of uh, the word uses. So I guess it looks at the frequency of the word. So oh, really? If, I didn't know about this. Yeah, I was asking you, remember about the, um, if it's better to use the CELTA, is it? Like, what, oh. what's it called? The CELF. Um, measurement this A1, A2, or yep, if it was that yep. o- the other version that um, the Lexile uh, level, yeah, the Lexile one. And so what I was doing was running through all of my transcripts because I wanted to see like vocabulary wise where are they landing in yeah. terms of difficulty. And it was really interesting because I kind of had a whole spread from about A2 all the way to C2, but the ones that ended up being the most quote unquote simple, you know, for beginners um, were the sporadic conversations where I was, say, just talking about my day or something in a podcast or maybe even some of the interviews, which were 40 minutes long. When I was just talking with my wife about our child, having our child for the first time, it came up as a level of like B2 or B1 or something because obviously the the vocab we're using in those sorts of conversations one-on-one is much simpler. But when I ran when I ran the scripts that I had written pre written about certain topics through the machine, I was getting C one C two, and so well, that's, that's really interesting. And I wonder, you know, my my immediate thought is that, you know, we know that there's there's a big difference between between writing and and speaking. You know, the yeah. the language you use, and maybe you know when you sit down to write a script, you switch into this you know, this language mode that's, that's for you, you know, much more advanced. A hundred percent. And because I'm writing them for the podcast, I'm always thinking about how do I use more complicated language in terms of say synonyms for words that are rarer so that the listeners get exposure to them. Because I know that I'm not just pulling out, you know, certain expressions or even complicated synonyms, you know, superfluous, a word like that or something. I'm not just going to really use without sitting there and thinking about it. Yeah. Um, in a conversation, but when I'm writing a transcript out, I can do that and then give the listeners a bit of more complicated language to, to go away and study. And so that was interesting. It was like when you've got time to think, you can structure things a lot more in, in a way that's much more sophisticated uh, and complicated. But then when you're just talking one-on-one, quite often the sentences are broken, the, you know, the tenses are very simple. I bet you if you looked at our thing today, it would all be probably you know, the, the simple present tense, simple past tense, and that would be about it, right? Maybe some perfect tenses in there as well, and that's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, um, well, th- this, is, this is more of a kind of a philosophical question, but you know, when like part of my job is... is you know, part of my job is to communicate kind of clear messages. Like if I'm teaching a student something, I don't want them to be focused on the form of my language. I don't want them to think, well, yeah. what does that word mean? And what, what does that word mean? I want them to be thinking about what I'm trying to teach them. And, but then, you know, if, so here's the question. If, if, if you have a student and they're only exposed to, to, you know, my sort of limited vocabulary, how, how does that prepare them to go out into the real world where people are going to perhaps use words like yeah. superfluous? This is a sort of, this is a struggle, that's, right? That's where you have to mix it up, right? And mm-hmm. it, it is funny because I noticed with some English teachers on, say, YouTube, they 
it's it's almost like as soon as they get in front of the camera, they speak differently from mm-hmm. when I say speak to them in private and you'll hear them use slang or use. And so I've had to think quite often, especially with doing podcasts, how much do I script it? Because as soon as I do that, it's changing the way in which the language would be used in terms of um, conversational everyday English, which is what they're going to run into most of the time. And I'm not really trying to prepare them for, you know, having a really, really wide vocabulary to pass an exam. I want to give them access to the English that's spoken every day in terms of listening comprehension so that they can be better prepared for that. So it is, it is difficult though, because you're like, I want to, st- I want to dumb it down a bit, but at the same time, if they only get used to that level, they're going to be disappointed when they arrive in Australia, for example, and yeah. be like, holy crap, no one speaks slowly like Pete. He was too <laughs> easy to understand. And I get complaints like that. Sometimes I'll be, I'll be making these episodes and I'm not even thinking about it and I'll listen back because I'll get complaints. It's too easy to understand you. You speak too slowly and I'll be like, what the hell are you talking about? I go and listen. And I'm like, man, you've probably been listening to 600 episodes of my podcast. You're just used to my accent. I'm not dumbing it down. It's just, that's just how I speak. <laughs> no, li- listen, um, even my own family, you know, they say to me, Christian, why are you talking to me like I'm an idiot? I, I can, I can- <laughs> understand English and and I say to them well you know this is how I speak like if we if we went to the pub and had drinks I would speak exactly like this like yeah maybe I'm just accustomed to it but there was something which I read recently which was very scary is that they 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 did some research about native English speaking teachers who had been in Spain for only one year yeah and after one year they had these English teachers had already started to use kind of Spanish constructions with English words, changing the way that they, um, that they spoke to, to kind of accommodate the the Spanish learners. That screws me up all the time now. And it's not, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily that accommodation. I, the idea there with, for instance, I speak Portuguese probably, 90% 90% of the time now okay. with, with Kel in the house. So okay. I've made that rule a year ago, just Portuguese. Okay. I want to get as good as possible so that when Noah's growing up, he'll speak Portuguese and there's no one else around. And for my own sake, I'm just being selfish. Awesome. But now whenever I speak English around our pa- my parents or, you know, whatever, quite often I have the structures in my head for Portuguese and I'll just blurt out the English version of it and just be like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not an expression in English or... Like, for example, I mean, it'd be the same in Spanish, right? You know how they say, like, um, all the two. That was French. They say tous les deux for, like, um, both, right? So, sometimes I remember spurting that out. Yeah, I'll have all the two. And people would just be like, all the what? And I'm like, ah, it's gone deep. And so, I would love to know more about, like, cognitively what's going on there. Because interestingly, too, and you'll probably know more about this than me, but when I speak I spoke French fluently before I learned any Portuguese and then I dropped French and started doing Portuguese full time. So now when I try and speak French, Portuguese is inserted anywhere. I can't think of the word fast enough in French, but I can think of it in Portuguese even before I think of it in English. So English doesn't get like English doesn't taint the, the well, the waters. It doesn't interrupt anything. But Portuguese seems to be this like big brother that's like beating up his little brother constantly when I try and speak French now. So I'd love to know in terms of like what's going on in my head. Like is there, is there a certain area where second languages all get put and then they kind of have to like fight for space, right? It's, no, it's, it's more, um, it's, it's actually more, more about suppression 
Like yeah. the, it, it, that's right. I remember your video with the balls right yeah, of the water. Exactly. So so people think it's the opposite. People think that what the brain is doing is trying to bring up, for example, it's trying <laughs> to bring up the the Brazilian or bring up the French. But it's yeah. the opposite. Your brain is actually trying to push down your English and push down your 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 yeah. French so that the Brazilian can and, and so that's what it has problems with because um you know you have to remember that that the brain is is just a machine like for making connections and yeah. The most powerful thing that the brain can do is repeat I, stuff a lot. Another funny thing is that, and I remember, I can't remember where I heard it, but um, a reason people with dementia end up swearing a lot is because apparently that's much deeper in the, the brain, in the hippocampus. So I think the area in the brain that stores those kind of emotional like, you know, you stub your foot and you're like, shit, you know, it's, it's like a reaction more than a, a thought and a sentence. Apparently people with dementia whose brains, um, you know, they lose the, the ability to speak English fluently, but they still have those reactions where all of a sudden, you know, they, they'll bump their toe or something and say, shit. <laughs> and I think I have the same thing with, um, what would you call them? Words like, well, like, you know. Uh-huh. So sometimes when I'm speaking in Portuguese to Kel, I'll be saying something like, que tá fazendo hoje? Porque eu tô achando que, like, uh, and I'll be like, <laughs> like, why did I just, I know the word, chipu, chipu is what they say for like, like, yeah. like, but I use the English tick for some reason and it just pops in there. So well, I think, I think that they're, they're two separate things. So, um, yeah. The reason the reason that those the, the dementia patients would would sort of continue to have that vocabulary is because um, we tend to that the words that we learn first in our lives are the words that yeah. are really deep in there. So you know the reality is that children <laughs> hear their parents saying shit, you know, damn, and they're never going to forget, <laughs> and they never forget. So those those kind of first thousand words are like they become part of your your neurology almost, and. Yeah. But, but the second thing I think is that all of those kind of, um, those like discourse markers and, mm-hmm. and those kind of the, 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 the feedback that, that we give when in, we're in conversation, yeah. like, oh, and that, that's, it's Even like the um sound, right? That, um, I, I think I've noticed that with Spanish speakers and I have to quite often tell them guys or, or sort that out straight away. Cause it's very jarring to use the vowel sound e, e. when you when you're speaking English, you know, you'll be like, I was doing this the other day, e, and it'll be like, whoa, 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 what? What was that? <laughs> Get used to the ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's totally subco- totally automatic, yeah, right? It takes a yeah. long time, right? Yeah, like even even now, if I'm if I'm walking down the street and mm-hmm. I'm sort of maybe on my phone or I'm I'm you know I'm distracted, if I, if I see someone I know that my I go hey, and I'm like no no yeah. wait no, it's hola. <laughs> Because it's just, it's totally automatic, even after 10 years here. Yeah. I've had that a few times too, where I've walked out and I'll hear my mum enter in and I'll hear the in the other room and I'll be like, oh, that's mum's, you know, cadence of her voice. She's here. She's here to see Noah and Kel will be talking to her and I'll walk out and be like, hey, to the being my, like, how's it going, mum? And she'll be like, what? And I didn't even know. And I'll be like, why? What, 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 what happened? She's like, you said it in Portuguese. And I'll be like, oh my God. So it is. It is so interesting what, what the interplay in the between languages, right, in, inside the brain. Yeah, exactly. But if you were to if you were to become a professional interpreter, after after like a couple of years, you would switch so easily with no interference because yeah. you just get better at it. You know. 
well, it's just time on the mat, right? We used to say that with jujitsu, the, the more time spent doing something is you just get so good at it. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. and, and well, um, so, so, and this sort of brings us back to that whole kind of thing about there, you're, you're exactly right. There's so many books and, you know, where, where the answers seem very obvious, you know, need to practice, need to read more, et cetera. But there's, there's not very much in the way of practical things. So, so that's yeah. why I think this, this, this stuff from the, from the FSI guys really, really interesting. Um, yeah. Well, hopefully we're going to develop it into a course and yeah. create something because it seemed like, I think you and I have both been talking about it for a while. There's a lot of stuff online that, that, you know, it's very, Shit. how would you put it? Sorry. <laughs> Shit. Shit. Terrible. <laughs> well, there's a lot of stuff out there where, it's it doesn't lead to dramatic change immediately i would say right like it's almost and i find this even with my own content at times i'm like oh i've got a lot in here but i need to also show people how to get the most out of it how to get the the you know pull the best out of it and so i think with these sorts of things when people ask me about confidence and fluency and speaking it seems like you don't need to necessarily learn more english to improve those things it's more about um, improving how you have conversations. So it is interesting how it's more of a psychological thing and a behavioral thing mm. than necessarily an English coach or English teacher. You know, I'll give you one lesson about this phrase or this um, tense and you'll be fine speaking in public or whatever. Yeah, look, exactly. And I think, I think there's a lesson for, for students as well, right? It's like, you know, Ask, ask yourself, you know, when you watch these videos that are like, you know, uh, top 10 words you need in business or, you know, um, 10 different ways to say goodbye, you know, after watching that video, does, does that really kind of help you to do anything <laughs> really? It's entertainment, yeah. right? Like it's, you don't, you don't necessarily watch, um, I don't know, like the walking dead to, to learn about science or medicine, right? You kind of watch it because it's a laugh and it's good fun. And I, that's the battle I have a lot of the time with, um, YouTube videos. I'm like, I kind of need to make something that people are going to click on and enjoy watching, but then get sucked in for the long term and are going to end up putting in the time to improve their, their language, right? And so there's yeah. that, that fine line between entertainment and education. And it's, yeah, it's, it's really right. tough. It's really tough. Yeah. I mean, how can you how can you take something that's so big, like like learning a language, and also that's really hard? How can you make it entertaining? And 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 in fact, I know that there's lots of um, you know teachers out there who would say, well, you know, it's not entertaining. Um, and yeah. you know, when if if you give people the idea that learning should always be fun, then then it's that's not good either. I was reading a book um, today. In fact, I will pull it up so that I don't screw up this guy's name. And I don't know. Can I swear? Um, um, I think so. Um, so, the book is called Everything is Fucked by oh, yeah. Mark, Mark Manson. So, he's the guy who wrote um, How to Stop Giving a Shit. Uh, okay. that that My book. sister read that book. She said it was really good. It is. He's a really good writer. This one, Everything is you know, fucked yeah, is, is, yeah. is about, is about hope. And, okay. um, he had a big section. I just finished it today, listening to audio audible whilst out walking. He had a big section about happiness and how he thinks, you know, it's oversold and that we we're never, no one's ever truly going to be happy because we are just, mm. there were some, there were some really good nuggets in there. 
And one of them was firing a shot at everyone who says, you know, you can get fluent in three months or you can get, you know, you can learn how to, there was, he was, he was targeting someone who learnt a few chess moves and ended up beating some high ranked chess guy after a month of playing it and then walked away and was like, yeah, I've done that tick. And he's kind of like, it's the wrong attitude to have, you know, because you've kind of, you've got to be in it for the long haul and the improvement constantly and the, and the fact that there is pain in there constantly, but that's how you get value out of it, right? Because you keep overcoming these things. But two sort of anecdotes that were interesting from scientific studies that were done, he was talking mm. about in this book, um, there was a blue dot test that, that they did, a study where they had people come in and they had them press a button saying the, the, the dot they're shown on the screen is blue or it's not blue. And they show them, you know, purple and blue dots. Have you, have you heard of this study? No, no. So initially, I think they matched them at about 50-50 and they show them a thousand of these and they press it. And then after that, they start showing people a range of different, color, different shades between the purple and the, the blue. And they don't necessarily keep the numbers even. And the funny thing was, even when that happened, they kept trying to even it out, saying that half as many were blue. And then after that, they showed them pictures of people who were happy versus sad, and they did the same thing. They were trying to find a balance there. So half were sad, half were happy. But even in the end, after that, they showed them just happy faces, and they were still trying to adjust it to show that there were unhappy ones. Hmm. And then he said, too, that he had, there was another study that... Um, I think it was back in the 80s or the 90s that people had uh, buzzers. What are they called again? Those things that you put on the, you get texted or something. Oh, pages. Pages. Yeah, I never had one. It was before my time, but pages. And it, they'd get paged twice a day and have to say how they were feeling, you know, rated out of 10. Yeah. And he was like, no matter what had happened, pretty much everyone said seven. So yeah. their, their mother had died and it would be like for a few days, two, two, five, seven. Huh. Or they won, they won the lottery and it would be like 10, 9, 5, 7, 7, 7, 7. Huh. So the point of that was the, I guess, of the, both these sort of studies was that um, it, you, you end up balancing out, you know, or trying to balance out and find that middle ground. So even if you do say, you know, win the lottery or get fluent in English, it's not, you, you have to stop looking at it like once I finally get there, I'll be happy and everything will be good. Because even if it is, it'll be a very short period of time and then you'll be back to normal, right? The human mind, and that's what keeps us moving forward as human beings. It's almost like we're, we're cursed to never be a 10 out of 10 permanently in terms of happiness. So we keep going for it, right? You have to keep, you've got the carrot in front of you. And so I think that there's a story in there somewhere in that mix of stories for, for working on your fluency in English and knowing that it takes a long time, right? Yeah, um, probably the, the, the story is that, um, is that no matter where your English is, right? If, if your English is really terrible and, you know, you've just started learning English and you can only say basic sentences, yeah. you can still feel like a seven, right? Cause it's like <laughs> that initial feeling of it's great. I can go and buy a coffee or whatever. And, and even after you've been learning English for 20 years and you're, and you know you're you're really fluent, and you got a great great pronunciation. You'll still feel like a seven because there's yep. certain places where you'll struggle. So maybe the takeaway is that you should feel good all the time during the process, maybe, or at least realize that, right? And keep aiming to improve, and just know that 
even as you do improve, don't wait for a time when you're feeling, you know, 100% bliss, right? Because it's never going to happen. It's probably not going to happen, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and I think it, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, the more you learn, the more you realize how much there is to learn, right? Yeah, the curse of knowledge, right? Or the curse of wisdom. I yeah. find that all the time. Did you have that with Spanish when you first started? And this is another tangent we can go off in. But I always feel like I remember walking into my sister's house recently and she's like, I don't know how you speak Portuguese like that. I, I'm so horrible at languages. I could never do that. And I'd be like, you're saying that to me in a language fluently. Like, yeah. are you, like is, the, is the contradiction here just not any more obvious? Like, how are we communicating? It's not sign language. You're using, you know, where you, and that's a language. You're saying this to me in, in English. So you're obviously pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, I think part of that as well is, you know, the, the Australian culture, like most Anglo-Saxon cultures, you know, there's no real culture for learning another language. So for most people, yeah. I mean, like when I go visit, when I go to Australia and, you know, people are like, oh, you, you live in Spain, you speak Spanish. Oh my God. It's like, it's like, uh, you know, it's like I won the Nobel prize just because I can speak, you know, <laughs> a, another language where, whereas. Bow down to the genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, what they don't realize is that most people in the world speak two or three or four languages. You know, we're, yeah. we're the ones that are weird, the monolinguals. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, exactly. well, to answer your question, um, I remember I'd been living here for about three months and we were looking for uh, a Spanish teacher. And we found this American woman who was teaching Spanish. And so we had a first meeting with her to like plan the classes and how often we'd come to class. And she said to us, she said to us in English, you know, so how's your Spanish right now? And I remember saying to her, man, you know, my, I can't really speak that much, but my vocabulary is excellent. That's what I said to her. <laughs> and, and back then I probably knew how to say like, dog and car and barbecue and but you know yeah. for me that was excellent so my ignorance was enormous in that respect enormous well it feels like that all the time kel is always telling me oh your portuguese is so good and i'm always like but you know <laughs> <laughs> or like what for a gringo right like, <laughs> just like no 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 it's really good and i'm like but i constantly am aware self-consciously of where where my flaws are what i don't know like at the moment i'm reading this book for example about um, one of the, the worst jails in Brazil and uh, it had a tragic story. But anyway, I'm going through it and highlighting all the words in it. And I'm like, I, I'm like I, I've read 100 pages and I still haven't hit a page where I don't know a single word. <laughs> but it is funny when you break that down because it's kind of like to, for me to get to that point statistically, you know, if you would say each page would have, what, 500 words on it, mm. that would mean I'd have to have the mastery of something like, you know, 20,000 words in Portuguese, right? Yeah, yeah, and so, exactly. And so, that, yeah, you have to remind yourself how far you've come, right? And yeah, still be exactly. like, right, there's a, bit, there's a bit to go, but... Well, I'm, I'm curious how many of those words that you've highlighted, can you, can you, like, can you guess the meaning from the context? Yeah, well, a lot of them I highlight because I'm unsure. Okay. And so I want to, ver I want to verify anyway. So I'll try quite often. You, I do like, again, we can talk about how to get vocab out of books. My way is generally, um, read a chapter and then read it again and highlight the words you were uncertain about or the expressions or whatever, and then read it again and, and write the definitions under them. Mm. But yeah, most of the time, probably 50%, I reckon I can sort of, at least it doesn't disrupt the flow, right? But 
personally, I'm, it's almost like an OCD thing, an obsessive compulsive disorder thing where I'm like, I need to know every word in a sentence or else I'm going to be like, did I understand it? Am I sure I know what I, what that was? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, I think that, that your, that study technique is actually a great combination between combining kind of enjoyment and, and, and learning. Cause, yeah. and, and this is probably the part of learning that isn't the fun part, like reading the chapter and kind of mm-hmm. understanding, you know, 80%. That's good. Right. Cause it, you yeah. focus more on the kind of the story but then comes the kind of the, the, the more unpleasant the part of highlighting the words and looking them up. And, but it's necessary, right? Necessary. It's like going to the gym. Lifting the weights isn't the fun part. It's, it's walking out of the gym pumped up that's the fun part and it lasts about two minutes, right? <laughs> it's a means so, to an end. But there are sometimes moments, right? Like not, mm. very, not very often there's moments, but there are moments sometimes where maybe you could be out on a run and you just have that moment where you're like, man, this is great. Yeah, definitely. Might just be 30 seconds, but, you know. Well, and I think it comes back to this the book that um, Mark Manson had written here. He was talking about at the end there that idea of, I guess, like the opposite of trying to do something really quickly and just finding happiness in the moment or at least, um, you know, being pleased in the moment and just keep keep chipping away at it, keep working away at it. So I'm not trying to beat myself up over the fact that I still have to look up a bunch of these words, but I'm really enjoying the fact that I can actually just read this book in a foreign language and get the gist of it, you know, really well and just, you know, enjoy that process. So, and that's one thing I know that you love to talk about. It's always follow the fun, right? It's don't make English learning so boring that you don't want to do it. Make it so fun that you can't avoid but do it, right? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think a big part of that is, is, is kind of doing what you're doing. So, you know, you say, well, I want to, I want to read something in English, but I want to read something I'm interested in. So yeah. obviously you, you, you want to know about this, this prison. This is something because you're interested in history, aren't you? All right, guys. So, that is just the first half of this rather long interview that I had with Christian. Don't worry, it gets even better in the second half, but that will be out soon. So, I wanted to chop it up because it was well over an hour in length. But yeah, this will be enough for today. Stay tuned for the next portion, which will be out soon. Thanks again for joining me, guys, and I will see you next time. Peace. Peace.